my internal purpose says that if I gave up on my journey, it was showing my kids it was okay not to go after a life of their dreams. You have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. Discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Brought to you by your host, Dorothy Ilson. Hey everyone, I'm Dorothy and it is an honor to welcome you to the latest episode of Do Well and Do Good. On this show, my guests are all very different, but they share the important understanding that achieving tremendous financial success and making a massive difference can go hand in hand. Now, I would absolutely love to chat one-on-one with you. I want to hear about your goals and how I can make this podcast more valuable. So be sure to head over to our free Facebook group. That's where you can find a link to my calendar and we'll set up a time to connect. You can find a link to the group at dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. And now I am thrilled to tell you about today's guest. He is a renowned expert in visual branding and known in many circles as the makeover master. His name is Mike Young. And let me tell you, does this guy have an incredible story? We actually first connected at the very beginning of 2017 through a digital marketing Facebook group that we were both in. Mike had offered a free logo to the first person who commented as part of this pay it forward initiative that the group was doing. So I was the first to comment. And at the time, I was just getting started after quitting my job. I was trying to freelance, figure out how to make money on my own. And I had this idea to build email marketing campaigns for businesses. I was going to call it Campaign Jedi. So I sent Mike all of the details on my vision for the logo. And he replied back, basically saying, "Um, have you checked to make sure that your business name is legal? See, most people wouldn't even need the quick Google search it took to reveal that Disney aggressively defends their Star Wars trademarks. But despite that fairly embarrassing introduction, Mike and I became fast friends. These days, he's the visual brand makeover guy for six-figure-plus entrepreneurs. In this episode, we dive deep into his story of years of struggle and being dead broke before breaking through with his business, Your Branding Spot. We talked about how his money mindset evolved through those years, how his kids became the thing that kept him going, and how now him and his wife, Katie, give back through their support of organizations working to reduce the stigma around mental illness and prevent suicide. So without further ado, here's my chat with visual branding guru, Mike Young. Mike, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. I am so thrilled to have you here. Dorothy, it's an honor. It's my pleasure to be here and I'm uh, looking forward to our chat. Well, I'd love to kick things off by hearing what are you most excited about in your life right now? That's a great question. It seems like there's so much going on these days. I am excited about my business. Um, I'm excited about my family life. My kids are healthy. They're doing great. I'm just really enjoying kind of where things are at right now, not only in my personal professional life, but like my business is just taking off and I have so many opportunities coming at me. And so things are just uh, seem to be going really, really well right now. Well, it's an amazing place to be, but I know that things weren't always that way for you. So, you know, I really want to dig deep into your story because 
Mike, you and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and you have got to be the most resilient and the most determined entrepreneur that I know. And the way that you've fought through resistance to get to where you are today is really remarkable. So let's start back in you know, around 2007, 2008, I believe it was. You had in all respects what looked to be a very successful mortgage business, but what was really going on behind the scenes wasn't quite as pretty. So can you tell us what was happening at that time? I started in the mortgage industry in 1998 after I got out of college. I, I've always really just had this feeling of like not wanting to follow the rules. You know, my parents, my parents would say, uh, don't eat your broccoli and I'd eat the broccoli. You know, that was, that was how they played with me as a kid to get me to do things. And I decided to create my own mortgage company because I didn't like the direction of my employer at the time. I just felt like they were creating rules for me and I, I thought I could do this better. And it led to an organization. We had 250 plus employees. We had 10 offices. But somewhere around 2006, 2007, it just started taking a downturn. I went from making thirty, forty, fifty $50,000 a month down to taking all of my revenues and putting it back into the company. And it was like this slow process where I could almost see the writing on the wall. And so from the outside, it was, it was great. I had a big house. I had two fancy cars. I had a wife. I had a kid on the way, you know, all these things. But behind the scenes, it was like this gradual process of knowing that the company was about to fail. It was, it was really hard. I mean, it was, it was no doubt it was hard. I mean, I, we started off by saying how great things are today, but I've just had two periods of my journey, my entrepreneurial journey, that have included two stretches of 15 months with no income. And, and in 2007, I knew that the company was going to fail by 2008. And I was lucky enough to have an extremely supportive wife. I was lucky enough to have... I don't know, like five business partners at the time. I went in in March of 2008 and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I was, I was really struggling. I was working 80 plus hours a week. My, my son, Jeff, was one year old at the time. And I had almost like, I've always been able to forecast. I just said, I don't want this for my life. I don't want the next 18 years for me to be in an office while he grows up. I, I talked with my wife. I said, I don't want to do this. She said, I think you should quit. And two weeks later, I got bought out of the company for a dollar. Um, I said, I don't want anything. I just want, I want to do something different. And I left. That was kind of, that was kind of the process there. So you get out of the mortgage business. What happened next? You know, for a few weeks, I sat in my home office, almost with the like, what the hell am I doing type of feeling? Like I, I really had no plan. I didn't have a vision. I, I thought at the time that was pretty easy to create a multi-million dollar company. Even though it was going into the ground, I, I thought that was easy. I could just do it again. But this time I'm going to do it on my own. This time I'm going to do it without two to 400 emails a day. I'm going to do it without 250 employees. And so I just thought I'm going to recreate something as an entrepreneur. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Easy and quick aren't usually the words that come to mind when you think about starting a business. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I, I ended up settling on a project that I thought was going to be the thing. I, it was a financial literacy program for high school kids. We took on, I, I had a business partner that wanted to do it with me. 
we took on a couple hundred thousand dollars of investor money at the time. And I just thought with interviewing kids and my skills, I started learning online marketing. I started learning how different things worked with the online advertising and marketing world. And we took the investor money. We immediately, within five months, had spent all that money in website development and paid ourselves and, and travel and interviews with high school students. And so five months later, I was completely broke, completely bankrupt. Not only that, was, was 200000 in debt in my mind because I'd lost all this investor money. And those two events back to back for me, the mortgage failure and then the first entrepreneurial failure created this, what I know now today is just like this deep-seated self-confidence and shame around myself. And I, I went for a long time. I went for years daily beating myself up, not only verbally, but mentally. And, and I was never good enough. I was never smart enough. I was, I was an idiot. And I just, I went through a, a long time where I really suffered from, from those two events, just, just really beat myself up over it. And so, Mike, how would you characterize your relationship with money during those years? <sighs> Flawed. <laughs> you know, I, I found for me, the root issue was my own self-worth. And so I never, I, I was self-sabotaging is how I would describe it. I would never allow money to come into my life because I wasn't worth it as a person. I wasn't worth allowing myself to have success. And so my relationship with money was tied to my self-confidence. And I would, I would, I didn't do this consciously. I would do it subconsciously. Things, opportunities would come at me and I'd almost find a way to sabotage the opportunity. You know, people were like literally saying, could I pay you to do this? And I'd be like, no, 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 I, we can't do that right now. But it was like, I was denying money, I think is, is the way I would view it. I think it's really important that you that you bring up that this was a subconscious pattern. And I think that that's something that is really important to understand because we all have this, you know, internal game that we're playing with money in our lives. And you know, when I talk in the show about, you know, how a lot of people have these beliefs that, you know, having a lot of money makes you a bad person or you know all of these different things, these aren't conscious things that people are, you know, aware that, you know, I, I think that if I'm rich, then I'm a bad person. No, these are subconscious beliefs that are ingrained in us from usually, I mean, from the time we're little, little children and, you know, observing our parents, hearing the things that, that they're saying about money. And we develop these beliefs that then drive our actions, even though we have no idea that that's what's going on, you know, that we might be subconsciously pushing away, pushing away money, literally, because, you know, we think deep down that, that we're not worthy of it. And so identifying those beliefs that we have, and then figuring out how we can turn them around to be something that serves us is really the whole game. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, you said the word game a couple of times, I view it as a game, this whole thing has been a journey and a game to me to, to hack into myself a little bit. And so I'm actually grateful for those experiences now because I, I feel like I had a lot of ego involved before I went broke. I learned a lot about myself. I learned, I went through a huge period of, of exploring minimalism and reading, just reading books. I mean, I read about every financial book you could read and started to 
understand what is my philosophy around money and what is my concept of self-worth. And, and it did take me a long time to hack into that. But now today, it's like my, my emotions are not tied to my bank account. It's like that. It's like the watch I wear or the car I drive. Like I could have, I was lucky enough back in the day, like in 2007, 2008, I had a mentor named Todd Ballinger and he had run his mortgage company up into $25 million worth of stock options for him and lost it all. And at that time, he helped me reframe things. He's like, when I thought I had $25 million, I didn't go into Burger King and want to buy 55 Whoppers because I had all this money, you know? So he helped me start to reframe the conversation in my head around what is important and how does money play into your life? And I'm, I'm grateful for those two periods that I've gone through where we were literally broke, where we had ketchup and milk in the fridge, you know, those types of things. What was the turning point for you? Um, you know, I, I think, I think there's hundreds of turning points. A huge turning point for me was with my kids. I, I had somewhere along the journey attached my internal purpose and my entrepreneurial drive to my kids. And in my mind, if I gave up on, back in 2008, I'd created this list, you know, this huge list of like all the things I wanted. It was like a vision board, you know, some people do that vision board thing. But it was just like, I wanted this, I wanted income, no debt, no meetings, all this stuff. And I knew that that was always the end goal for me. It was always like my guiding star. And I knew from from other mentors I'd had that every decision I make was never right or wrong. It was always right or left. I was always going to keep going towards the end goal. And so I developed 50 brands back in the day, back in 2008 to 2012, 50 brands. And none of those were failures in my mind. 47 of them didn't work. Three of them worked pretty well and, and made some money. But the failures were never failures. They were just a process for me to get to the end goal of what I actually wanted. And in my mind, my internal purpose says that if I gave up on my journey, it was showing my kids it was okay not to go after a life of their dreams. And so it was showing my kids it was okay to get a bank, bank job and a 401k and be in a cube where they're miserable for 30 years to find out that retirement's not what you think it is. And that attachment to me was so strong that it got me through some really dark times. I just I mean, the periods where I was literally broke was if I quit today, it shows my kids it's okay to live a life that's like a settled life, a life not of your dreams. And I just wanted my kids to always have this mindset that they could go after anything they want. And if I gave up, it was showing them, you know, kids model their parents' behavior and, and I modeled some of my parents' financial habits. And I didn't want my kids to model a dad that was a quitter, a dad that gave up. And so that was a huge turning point for me. That attachment got me through some really hard periods. Yeah. And what you're describing, when you start getting into personal development, you know, you'll, people will hear the concept of your why, you know, everyone's always talking about what's your why, what's your why. And it's almost annoying like when you, when you first start hearing about that, cause you're like, gosh, like, yeah, I, I don't know what my why is like, who cares what my why is? I'm just moving forward. And it's not until you figure out what that is for you that you realize, oh, wow, you know, they weren't kidding. That was really the key all along. And having that driving force 
Yeah, for sure. Like I've, I said that on another interview last week, I just said that all of that stuff to me during the process seemed like bullshit. Like, honestly, it just felt like total BS to me. It was like a big enough why and you can get through anyhow or, you know, all those things here, all these little quotes. And it all seemed like BS until I figured out it wasn't. Because when you when you actually live it, and, and it's not like, I'm not trying to sound like this is, like I've figured it all out. I still have struggles. I still have day-to-day issues and things that don't go my way. But there's certain things, foundational things that I've figured out for myself that have turned out to be true. And all those little quotes are actually, you know, all the ones that at least I've discovered for myself have turned out to be pretty spot on, you know, even though they sound like BS, it's just like, oh, that actually makes sense when you, when you discover it for yourself. Cliches are cliches for a reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely want to get into how you transitioned into visual branding. But first, for anyone who's listening who might, you know, recognize that they have some, some beliefs or, you know, patterns of thought around money that are holding them back or not serving them, what advice would you give to start to turn those around? Yeah, you know, I think I think the advice I give almost anybody is if I could rewind, I, I wouldn't change anything from what I've gone through because it helped me develop as a person. And, and um, I remember a TV show back in the day that it was around samurai swords and like 90% of them break at the very end because they're the strongest swords in the world, but they put the steel under such stress that the ones that survive are the strongest in the world. And I've always like remembered that story, but it's like, I feel like my journey, I I feel really strong right now because I've been through tremendous stress. And I would say you can shortcut a lot of that is like decide what you want to do and what, like if it's with money, decide what your ideal looks like and go find somebody that already has done that and hire them as a coach or a mentor or work for them for free or surround yourself with people like that as much as you can. You can shortcut Anything you want to learn, it doesn't matter if it's karate or learn Spanish or whatever. The fastest way to learn anything is to find somebody already doing it, surround yourself with those people, get them as a mentor, a coach, and model their behavior. And, and you can immediately speed things up. So this, it's no different with money. Is There are money coaches out there. There are mindset coaches out there. There's, and you, if you can surround yourself with those people, you begin to model their habits and then things begin to change. I agree with you 100%. And I know in my journey, coaching has been absolutely pivotal um, you know, from a mindset perspective, from a tactical business perspective. And so that's, that's really great advice. And there are so many different ways that people can start to surround themselves with people who have achieved the things that they're trying to achieve. You know, masterminds are one great way to do it. Um, you know, obviously hiring a coach, but even if you're in a position where, you know, you can't hire a coach at that moment, there are so many even free resources out there. If you look at, you know, people like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, people like Tony Robbins, these people that put out unbelievable content that you can consume for free and start to rewire your brain. And then as soon as you know you are able to invest in yourself and hire a coach, it's, it's really the thing that is going to take you to the next level. 100% because at the beginning, my mindset was, was jacked up, right? So like my mindset was not working and you tell yourself the story of I'll never get there or it's I can't hire a coach. I can't afford this. You know, you tell yourself all these BS stories 
But so what I did in the beginning, and this might help somebody, is is I knew that I couldn't, I was literally broke. So what I did, what I personally did was I hacked into my Facebook feed and I eliminated following everything. I unfollowed every friend. Like I, I basically, I followed my wife, my parents, my brother, and then everything else I followed was Gary Vaynerchuk, Russell Brunson. I hacked into my feed. So all I saw all day long was literally brainwashing myself. I followed guys that most people have never heard of, like Jesse Elder and Mike Kimsky and Mitch Miller. And like, I just would like hack into like, how do I figure out business? How do I figure out money? How do I figure out marketing and advertising, branding, brand strategy? And I, I hacked my Facebook feed and that's where I started. And that led me to some small successes, which led me to being, okay, now I can start investing in courses. You know, I went through a period of four years where I spent over $200,000 on myself in courses. Like I went through every course. I studied from Marie Forleo and Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk and, and all these people. I started investing in courses and books and all that crap. And then I don't mean crap in the sense that it wasn't worth it. It was just, <laughs> it was, it was my learning curve got sped up a hundredfold when I spent Spent, instead of spending 200 bucks on a book and a resource and a course, I would spend 2000 on a coach or 5000 on a coach. That was like, I would learn in 60 days what was taking me a year. And it was like, I was too stubborn or my ego was still in play. And I was trying to do it on my own. Like courses are, I mean, they're still do it yourself kind of, you know, people are guiding you, but a coach like took it down to 60 days what I was spending years trying to figure out on my own. Mm -hmm. And with a coach, you have accountability that is missing. In a, you know, If you buy a course, no one's checking up on you. No one cares if you do it or, or don't do it, if you're actually implementing what you're learning. But with a coach, that, that accountability is built in. And so I know when I started my agency, I had no clue what I was doing and I had no money. I had no income at the time, but I saw an opportunity to... Um, to hire a coach and to work with Jason Hornung, who was actually on episode two of the podcast. So I encourage everyone listening to go back and listen to that. But basically, you know, I I paid him a scary amount of money that I didn't have, you know, put it on a credit card and kind of backed myself into a corner and said, okay, well, now I have to make this work. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that everyone go out and go into crazy amounts of debt, of course. But for me at the time, I knew that that was what I needed to to really take things to the next level and to make sure that I would follow through on doing these things that I had committed to doing. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, I had gotten to a place where I just said enough. You know, I'm tired of the way this is today. I'm tired of my life this way. And I just had enough. And that was like a tipping point for me where it was I've always been very focused once I decide I want something. And, and the, the day that I was like tired of it and I got to the root of the issue, which was my self-confidence and my self-worth, things began to shift. And so I, I not only said I've had enough of this life, but I'm going to do something about it, about it and I'm going to put myself in a corner intentionally. I'm going to hire coaches and mentors I can't afford and I'm going to do whatever it takes and make it through it. Zero backup plan. No plan B, I like to say. You know, it's like I didn't have anything thought out to go back to. And I kept putting myself in that corner until it clicked. 
So you you had the the failed mortgage business and then you lost that investor money and you you know were trying all of these different things in the years following. So what was the start of your branding spot? How did what is you know now your your current business and what has really turned everything around for you? How did you get that idea? Where did it all come from? You know, so in 2010 to 2015-ish, you know, I'd created over 50 different little brands. We would get we would get a logo and social media and websites, and then we would go try and sell our thing. You know, I was, I think I was seeking to like, what's going to become my thing. Mm-hmm. And somewhere around 2015, my, my business partner at the time, he's, he basically said, I'm going to go get a job. And he was tired of the entrepreneurial ups and downs. And I said, if you're going to do that, I get, I'm going to figure out my own thing on my own. And really, like my self-confidence was starting to come out at that time. I was starting to put myself back online. I went, I went through a four-year period not being online at all. I think I ran into, we had a full-time designer. I ran into a week where she was going to be sitting on her hands if we didn't do something. And so I offered into a digital marketing group. I said, hey, we'll help 10 people create their logos for free this week because she was just going to do nothing otherwise. And that was the start of your branding spot to me was like, I enjoyed the process of helping others avoid mistakes I've made. I I tried to create a logo on my own. It looked like crap. I had bought a stolen logo and, and found the pain of like the graphic design world of how many people are just rip off artists. And so I, I started to like almost have the light bulb go off of like, Oh my gosh, I really enjoy this. I, I enjoy helping other business owners avoid mistakes I helped them. I enjoyed helping them create a logo and a look that they liked with their social media. It eventually transitioned to where it is today, where we only do complete visual branding makeovers for our clients. And so we take care of the entire visual brand. And it's just something I like, I literally am still kind of pinching myself because it's just like I wake up every day genuinely enjoying what I'm doing. I get to work with people that are super cool and really neat niches. I get to learn stuff about them and their struggles and their journey. And then we get to create a visual brand and a visual identity around who they actually are. And that's like, you know, it's just something I couldn't have envisioned any better. It's just so fun to what we're doing today. And it came from so much personal experience too. I mean, you had created 50 brands you know, they didn't work. And I know I've, I've heard you tell the story of how you met your lead designer because she, I, I guess she saw your logo. Am I getting this right? To tell, tell me that story. Yeah, you know, um, we were running a coaching company. I was doing some sales and marketing training and some other things. And we knew that we wanted to create an entire visual brand around it. We had a logo. I hired a platinum designer on 99designs. Uh, her name is Sonia. She lives in Serbia. And she said, hey, I'm glad to create like this coaching binder and social media and a website and all this stuff for you, but do you want to do it around a stolen logo? And I was like, what, what the hell are you even talking about, stolen logo? I had no clue at the time. And she said, your logo is stolen. And she shows me a web page with like literally 100 other logos exactly like mine, just the colors and words were changed. And that opened my eyes and it started this relationship where she was passionate about creating unique designs. She had real animosity for ripoff artists in the industry. And we just kind of hit it off and she's really good at her job and she's, and she's a tremendous artist. And that grew into like this relationship where I was paying a hundred dollars a week. And then I started paying her $200 a week and it grew into full time. And we still work together today. She's still my lead artist and 
we take the entire visual representation now. Like I, I learned, you know, part of my story is I learned that a logo doesn't make a difference to your website. A logo plus social media doesn't even make a difference. It's, a, it's about having your entire visual brand represent you. And that goes into so much more than just logos and fonts. It's, it's comments online. It's, it's posts you make. And, and so we take a look at the entire thing and it just helped almost bring people back out into the world in a way. It's like a lot of times they have this tremendous skill or tremendous passion and we just help them look the part of who they already are. So often people don't give their visual branding the time, you know, the money and quite frankly, the respect that it deserves. And so, you know, they'll create a logo themselves in Canva or they'll get one for 15 bucks off of Fiverr. They'll make their own colors. So so could you talk a little bit about why your visual brand matters so much and how it impacts the way that prospective customers evaluate you? Yeah. So your visual brand, I created a definition. I don't know if there's a dictionary definition of it, but my definition is everything a new prospect can see to form a first impression of you and decide whether to contact you for the very first time. And I think a lot of people are leaking prospects or new clients out the bucket before they ever even get into the bucket. First impressions are formed in about one-tenth of a second. And people decide whether they're going to contact you. And we all do this. We do it through Google reviews. We do it through the credibility we see. And so when we see cheap logo or cheap website, subconsciously, we're thinking, how good could this podcaster be at their job? Or how good could this restaurant really be if they don't have enough profit to invest back into their website? And so we make these, these subconscious first impressions and decide whether we're going to try you for the very first time. And so a lot of times you'll have a contact rate, and, and it's hard to analyze this, but you'll have a thousand people hit your site and maybe 36 are contacting you for the first time, giving you a shot. And that's because if your visual brand is not strong, if, it does, if they can't quickly know the problem you're going to solve for them, and you can't look the part, it's just like, it's like the dating world, right? It's like if you go in and you're at a bar or a dating scene or whatever, and somebody just looks, you know, gross to you or looks disheveled or homeless, like you're never going to give them the opportunity to know the wonderfulness that's inside. And, and so we just make people look the part. And, and that's where the visual brand is literally everything. It's everything somebody can see and decide whether they're going to contact you. And when you don't have that right, you're just, you're missing out on business. You don't even know you're missing out on the business. Shifting gears a bit, when it comes to giving back and really the, the mark that you want to make on the world, what cause is it that you would say that you're most passionate about and why? I would say... This, this stems from just a personal story of mine, which is three and a half years ago, my brother-in-law committed suicide. My wife has always had issues with anxiety and almost like these internal conversations she has with herself all the time. And in a seven-month span, she lost her brother to suicide. She lost her stepdad to an illness, and she lost her cat of 17 years. Um, I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's just like the cat is like, it was the thing that kicked everything off. And her anxiety took over at that point. And so we're both passionate about giving back to organizations that support suicide prevention and you know awareness around mental health issues and anxiety issues. So we get back to two organizations, activeminds.org 
and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And those are just two things that are like near and dear to our heart because, because suicide is, it's just like, it's a ripple effect. It's like so damaging that the person going through thinking about committing suicide, they're not in their right mind at that moment. And they're not thinking about how damaging it is to everybody that's going to live through that. But I mean, I've just seen it firsthand. It's just like, I mean, it really wrecked us for, for a few years. And I think we still deal with it. You know, it's something that will never go away and not be present in our lives because it is such a, I mean, it's just, it's just hard. You, you begin questioning all those things like, did I miss something? Could I have done something? And so, and, and it's like this community around that person that actually committed suicide is all saying those same things. So it makes everybody around them like feel like they failed. And it's just like, it's really hard to go through. Well, of course, there is a very, very long way to go on this still, but it seems to me at least that the tides are just starting to turn as far as people taking mental illness as seriously as we do physical illness. But even so, anxiety and depression are are frequently a very, very lonely battle, and many people don't get the help that they need. So, you know, I know that you yourself also went through a dark time uh, during those years in the in the early or uh, late 2000s. So for anyone who has struggled or, or is struggling with depression or they're in a dark place, what would you say to those people? I would say, I would say ask for help. There's, sorry, <laughs> getting choked up. Um, I, I just say that there's so many people that would help you and it does feel lonely. You, you, I think in that moment, you feel like there's no solution or else you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't commit suicide if you didn't feel like there was no way out. You feel hopeless. There, there are professionals that have dealt with this, that there are ways through it. I, th- I think I saw a study one time with Tony Robbins that was, um, it was something about the people that have thought about jumping off the San Francisco bridge, because that's a really popular bridge to jump off, I guess. But it was like they interviewed people like two years later or three years later. And I forget the number, but it was like 90 some percent of them no longer had suicidal thoughts. So they've kind of proven that it is like a moment in time. It's something that if you can get through the moment, you, you're not going to carry that with you, those suicidal thoughts forever for most people. So I would just say like, reach out, reach out to a friend, a family member. You know, my brother's had issues before and like, we just had conversations and we were able to work through it and he's no longer there. He's no longer in that place. So if you can understand that, I mean, that there are organizations, there are professionals, there are even friends and family members, reach out to somebody and just say, I'm struggling because I do think we're hitting a tipping point. You know, information didn't flow as fast as it does today, 30 years ago. And people are starting to not have that stigma quite as much of like, I'm broken, so I should be ashamed of this. And a lot of times it's just the wiring in your brain. Like there's like one of the things I've learned about my wife is that there's nothing for me to fix. I'm not a professional to fix her. A lot of times it's just my job to listen because when she's dealing with her anxiety, there are things going on in her brain that don't happen in my brain. And just sometimes being that person that like to listen to somebody, like just take the time to listen and, and, hear them out. And, and it's not always about solving their problem. It's about allowing them that space to process it for themselves and feel like they have a support of somebody else that's got their back, you know? Absolutely. 
Well, Mike, I'd like to give you my deepest thanks for everything that you shared with us today. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. So I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions, and I'd like for you to respond with the first answer that pops into your head. Are you ready? Could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. So Mike, who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? There's been several, but I would say impact, just quick round, probably Mitch Miller. And who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and make an impact? That's a great question. Probably my parents. When you're having a bad day, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? I reframe my brain as quickly as possible. How do you do that? I recognize that my thought patterns are something that I can change. And I do anything that puts me in a different state. Um, emotionally, I'll go exercise or go for a walk or do anything I can to change what I'm thinking about. Go from something I can't control that might be negative to thinking about something I can't control and take a new action. What book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? Napoleon Hill's The Laws of Success. And what is one thing on your bucket list? Bucket list. Um, Man, that's another good question. There's like a million things. One answer, uh, one answer would be I want to take my family to Tokyo as a family. And so my kids can experience Tokyo and, and Jamaica and Thailand and a couple places I've been to. So awesome. And then lastly, what is the worst piece of advice you've heard related to success? And then on the flip side, what's the best piece of advice you would give to our listeners? First piece of advice is you can do it all on your own. I found that nobody does it alone. If you look at their, their journey, they've all had mentors or coaches or impact with other people. And then what was the second question? The best piece of advice? Yep. Um, best piece of advice was that you're worth it, is to understand that, that each and every one of you, if you're listening to this, is worth, you've got one life, that you're worth living the life that that you deserve, whether you've had past struggles or business failures, or you've done things in the past you're ashamed of or whatever, you can still make a change and you're worth it and your life is worth it. And you never know the ripple effect you'll have when you begin putting yourself back out onto the dance floor of somebody else's life that you can change. Thank you so much, Mike. And then as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. And so this is basically where we encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. So can you tell us which nonprofit you'll be nominating and why? Yeah, I would nominate activeminds.org. They're dedicated to raising awareness around mental health issues and suicide prevention and education. And they're just an organization that kind of encompasses the whole thing, you know, that we talked about earlier. It's just like they're, they're trying to, to create awareness around the root cause of so many suicides, which is, you know, a lot for a lot of people, it is anxiety and mental health issues. And so I would support activeminds.org. We will link to that in the show notes. So everyone be sure and go there. And so then the very last thing, Mike, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about your branding spot, and of course, to follow your content? 
Sure. I post a ton of content on my personal Facebook feed. So you can look me up, Mike Young, at Your Branding Spot on Facebook. I also, our website is yourbrandingspot.com. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Mike. You got it, Dorothy. It's my pleasure. It's an honor to be here. Well, everyone, that's our show. Before we sign off from our chat with Mike, I want to introduce any new listeners to the Do Well and Do Good Challenge. If Active Minds or any of the other nonprofits shared by our guests touches your heart, make a contribution and then send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co. Your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having in making the world a better place. And as for me, well, each month I will be donating 10% of my after-tax income to whichever one of the nonprofits that you vote for inside of our free Facebook community. Not only will we host the vote inside of the Facebook group, but I'll also be sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. So head to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook to join. That's dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. In the group, you'll also find that link to my calendar where we can schedule a time to chat one-on-one like I mentioned at the beginning of the show. So I will see you there and thanks for listening.